This podcast was prepared for initial release on January 22nd, 2021. Greetings. My name is Terry Noldow, and this is Beethoven on Friday, a podcast made possible by the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture. Today, I plan to begin by picking up a couple of loose ends from the podcast I prepared for initial presentation last Friday, January 15th, 2021. That podcast focused on the piano sonatas of Ludwig van Beethoven and was centered on the extraordinary series of recordings of Beethoven sonatas that were made in the late 1920s by the remarkable Scottish pianist Frederick Lamond, who was one of the last pupils of Franz Liszt. In that podcast, I remarked on the fact that Frederick Lamond made the first recording of a complete Beethoven piano concerto. A recording made in 1922, the acoustic process, a recording of the piano concerto number five in E flat major, opus 73. The conductor on that occasion, Sir Eugene Goosens, although, of course, he was not then yet knighted. I decided not to dilute a program of Beethoven piano sonatas by diverging, if you will, to present a piano concerto. So, this morning, to quibbeline from Robert Frost, we're going to take the road not taken. Here is Frederick Lamond at the piano with the Royal Albert Hall Orchestra, conducted by Eugene Goosens. And he was Eugene Goosens III because he was the third prominent musician from that family to bear that name. In Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number 5 in E-flat major, Opus 73, the concerto we all know and love as the Emperor Concerto.
recording now a century old. It was made in London in 1922. The Royal Albert Hall Orchestra, which really was the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Eugene Goosens, the third of the name, later Sir Eugene Goosens. Ludwig van Beethoven, the Piano Concerto Number no. 5 in E-flat Major, Opus 73. That is the first recording of any Beethoven Piano Concerto in its entirety. The pianist therein, the marvelous Frederick Lamond, one of the last pupils of Franz Liszt, and one of the few pupils of Franz Liszt who specialized in Beethoven. There was no one better, and, of course, as generations went on, he got equaled and effectively supplanted by Artur Schnabel, another superlative interpreter of the piano music of Ludwig van Beethoven. Now, before we go on, there was another pupil of Franz Liszt, one of his favorite pupils, pianist named Eugen Dalbert, who also played a lot of Beethoven. And don't any of you out there say that the T should be pronounced. I knew, as a young person, several famous concert artists, much older than myself, who knew Eugen d'Albert. And none of them, none of them, put a T on the end of the name. In any case, there is a story about Eugen d'Albert playing Beethoven concertos. I heard this firsthand from Edward Weiss, one of the last pupils of Ferruccio Busoni. Mr. Weiss told me that d'Albert announced a farewell concert. He already knew he was not well. The last three Beethoven concertos. Three, four, intermission, five. At the intermission, Buzzoni is standing with Edward Weiss and Egon Petri in the lobby of the concert hall, and he is going on and on about how wonderful Eugen d'Albert is. And Egon Petri said, but Ferruccio, the mistakes, the mistakes! Buzzoni looked at this favorite pupil and said, Egon, if only you could make mistakes as eloquent as those.
Petrie was dying. He knew it. He was cajoled into recording the first movement of the Emperor Concerto for a radio broadcast. He agreed to do it in this recording, which was made in 1930. The Berliner Rundfunk Orchestra, the radio orchestra, is conducted by Bruno Zeitelhofer. It is a magnificent interpretation, but you can hear a dying man tiring during the performance. Eugen Dalbert, a favorite pupil of Franz Liszt. The first movement of Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5 in E-flat major, Opus 73, The Emperor. Eugen Dalbert spielt das Werk, begleitet vom Berliner Funkorchester unter Bruno Seidler-Winkler.
what a magnificent interpretation of the first movement of Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 5 in E-flat major, Opus 73, The Emperor Concerto. The pianist, one of the favorite pupils of Franz Liszt, Eugen d'Albert. He was accompanied by the Berliner Funk Orchestra, the Berlin Radio Orchestra, conducted by Bruno Zeidler-Winkler, a recording made for broadcast in 1930. Eugen d'Albert was in failing health when he made that recording, and he knew it. And there are moments when you can tell that he was tiring. They're worth putting up with. The playing, the interpretation, sheer magnificence. And this is the only known recording of Eugen d'Albert with orchestra. It is also the only known recording made using the electrical rather than the acoustic process. Now we'll return to the artistry of Frederick Lamond. This is a miraculous and most welcome survival. This is a recording of a performance that was given in concert in the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam on October 27th 1939. Frederick Lamond is the pianist. The Concertgebouw Orchest Amsterdam is conducted by Eduard van Beinem. Ludwig van Beethoven, the Piano Concerto Number no. 3 in C minor, Opus 37.
recorded in concert in the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam in the Netherlands on October 29, 1939. The Concertgebouw Orchestra Amsterdam, Edward van Benum conducting, Frederick Lamond, the pianist, Ludwig van Beethoven, the piano concerto number three in C minor, opus 37. If there is a better performance of that concerto, I have yet to hear it. This next segment of today's installment of Beethoven on Friday, as presented under the auspices of the Foundation for the Revival of Classical Culture, is a response to a request made by the charismatic, charming, and convincing guiding light of the Foundation, the remarkable Lin Yen. Lin asked me if I might be able to present all of the music for cello and piano by Ludwig van Beethoven in recordings by Pablo Casals. The answer to that request is yes, I can do it, and now will for you. As things arrange themselves, to use Don Pablo's expression, he recorded all of the five standard opus number sonatas twice. He also recorded the alternate version of the horn sonata twice. And then there are the variation sets. All of these he recorded at least once, and in one case he made two commercial recordings. So we have a lot to work with and a lot to enjoy. First, I plan to take the pieces in what appears to be the correct chronological order. The earliest pieces for cello, solo, by Ludwig van Beethoven appear to date from around 1796. And these pieces are two of the three sets of variations that Beethoven composed for cello and piano. Let us first hear the 12 variations on See the Conquering Hero Comes from George Frederick Handel's Judas Maccabeus. This work wasn't published in Beethoven's lifetime, and therefore it has what is called 
Averka Ona Opus number, a W-O-O number. It's number 45. This recording, Pablo Casals, of course, is the cellist, the pianist, his friend and frequent colleague, Rudolf Serkin. The recording was made at Perpignan in France in August of 1951.
Ludwig van Beethoven. Twelve variations for cello and piano on See the Conquering Hero Comes from George Frederick Handel's oratorio Judas Maccabeus. W double O number 45 recorded in Perpignan in France in August of 1951. The other set of variations that appears to be one of Beethoven's two earliest compositions for violoncello and piano, the twelve variations on Ein Mädchen oder Weibchen from Die Zauberflöte, The Magic Flute, by Wolfgang Amade Mozart. This recording by Pablo Casals and Rudolf Serkin was also made in Perpignan on July 25th, 1951.
July 31st, 1951. Ludwig van Beethoven. The Twelve Variations on Ein Mädchen oder Weibchen from Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's Singspiel Die Zauberflöte, The Magic Flute. Werke ohne Opus number 66. As I observed earlier, Pablo Casals recorded the five published Beethoven cello sonatas essentially twice. The first time was on 78s, and they were done 
sort of higgledy-piggledy, hither and yon. The second time around was in the early 1950s, and in all of the sonatas, Rudolf Serkin was Casals's partner. The recordings were made over more than one year, but it was systematic in intent. I want to begin with the first two sonatas, the sonatas Opus 5, in the recordings on 78 RPM discs that Pablo Casals made with his longtime friend, Mieczysław Horzowski, whom I also knew very well. And Mieczo told me that recording the Beethoven sonatas with Don Pablo was, from a technical point of view, something of a challenge. It seems, Mieczo told me, that the engineers had decided that, for the purposes of the if you will, sonic result, that Don Pablo should be sitting, if you will, at one end of the stage, and Miecho at the piano at the other. He told me that they could barely hear one another, but that when they heard the test pressings, they were astonished by how united they were. So, here, recorded in a series of sessions in Paris on June 19th and 20th, 1939, is Ludwig van Beethoven's Cello Sonata Number no. 1 in F Major, Opus 5, Number no. 1. Pablo Casals Cello, Mieczysław Horzowski Piano. Thank you. 
Pablo Casals, cello. Mieczysław Horzowski, piano. Recorded in Paris on June 20th, 1939. Ludwig van Beethoven, the Sonata Number no. 1 in F Major, Opus 5, Number no. 1. At that same session, on June 20th, 1939, Pablo Casals and Mieczysław Horzowski also recorded the Sonata Number no. 2 in G minor, Opus 5, Number no. 2, by Ludwig van Beethoven.
recorded in Paris, France, in sessions held on June 19th and 20th, 1939. Pablo Casals, cello, Mieczysław Horzhovsky, piano, Ludwig van Beethoven, the cello sonata number two in G minor, opus five, number two. Casals and Horzhovsky met again in the studio the following week to record the fifth sonata, opus 102, number two. It was to be the last time they saw each other and worked together until June of 1950, when Horzhovsky came to Prague to participate in the Bach Festival in Prague that marked Pablo Casals' emergence from self-imposed exile. The clouds of war were looming on the horizon in June of 1939. Casals went back to Prague, where he already was living uh, in self-imposed exile from Spain because Spain was now controlled by the fascist dictator Francisco Franco, whom Casals despised. Horzhovsky, who was a devout Roman Catholic, was ethnically Jewish. He fled to the Americas. As I said, the two friends, the two colleagues, were not to meet again for 11 years. <laughs> 